before I lifted that for the purpose of bar finals. And not in reality. In reality, a lot of states have um, enacted their own administration of criminal justice laws. Welcome to the Fit and Proper Podcast by DigiLaw, your host, Keikemi Ubi, and co-host Victoria Oloni Okpemikbo. Hello, you're welcome to the Fit and Proper Podcast. I am your host, Keikemi Ubi, and today I will be discussing introduction to criminal litigation with Victoria Oloni. People get excited about the thought of criminal law, especially in somewhere like Nigeria. The moment where your family members hear you are studying law, the next thing they start making statements like, they're going to cause trouble. And I'm like, hey, it's more complicated than that. Too. So, but today we're going to be doing an introduction and Victoria is going to be doing that with us. So Victoria, tell us, can you give us like a brief overview of what um, criminal litigation is all about? Okay. Yes. Um, hello, everyone. Criminal litigation basically means like procedure relating to criminal trials, if a person commits an offense, the procedure that goes to punishing, investigating, trying the offense. So it basically covers everything from summons and arrest to trial, investigation, constitutional rights during trial, to conviction, then to appeal. So it's basically the whole process. The whole process or relating to criminal trial, everything about criminal trial and then investigating criminal matters. So, okay. So, obviously, it's law. So, there will definitely be um, rules that are guiding this criminal proceedings. Can you tell us more, more about that, like the sources of law that guide criminal proceedings? Yes. But we have primary enactments, which are like the primary sources, they are the main, the main things that we use for criminal litigation. And then we have secondary enactments that probably have criminal procedure provisions in them, but they are not like primary. They are not related only to procedure okay. and criminal litigation procedure. So for primary enactments, we have the criminal procedure laws used in southern states except legal. Southern states are the old states, then E and Z. That is Ogun, Oshun, Oyo, okay. then it's the Ondo, Edo, Delta. Okay. That's the CPL. Then we have the Administration of Criminal Justice Law of Legal State 2011. Okay. So the first of its kind. In the north, we use the Criminal Procedure Code Laws as CPCL applicable in northern states. Then in Abuja, we have the APJ. Before I listed that for the purpose of bar finals, and not in reality. In reality, a lot of states have um, enacted their own administration of criminal justice laws. Wow. I think most states have, we just have about seven left or six left who have not enacted theirs. But for the purpose of bar finals, in the south, we use CPL. In the north, we use CPCL. In the in Abuja we use ACJ and in Lagos we use ACJ. So about secondary enactments, like secondary sources of law, can you tell us more about that? We've discussed the primary too. 
Yes, these are basically laws that have um, criminal procedure and criminal litigation flavor, like I said earlier. Number one, of course, is our constitution, the ground law, the mother of all laws, from yes. which every other law derives legitimacy and power. So we have the constitution, we have the evidence act. Evidence act basically governs criminal trials. We have the police act, which relates to arrest, summons, searches. We have the armed forces act, which relates to Basically, we have coroner's law, which will come up in coroner's court later. We have the children and young persons law, which will come up in juvenile court, under court of um, coronal jurisdiction later. We have magistrate court laws. We have the high court laws. We have the Court of Appeal Act, the Supreme Court Act. Then we have the various court rules, the high court rules, Court of Appeal rules, Supreme Court rules. Then we have practice directions. So, from what you said, you talked about various court acts, you talked about Supreme Court acts, and all. So, what types of criminal courts? Can you tell us about the types of criminal courts? Can you tell us about the settings, the settings, and stuff like that? As regards types of criminal courts, we have um, basically two major types of criminal courts. Okay. We have. Um, Courts of general criminal jurisdiction and then courts of special criminal jurisdiction. So courts of general criminal jurisdiction are courts that basically sit over almost all types of criminal matters. While courts of special criminal jurisdiction sit over only specific, like specific types of criminal matters. I know that jurisdiction can be um, related to party, to be related to the type of offense, to be related to location, and things like that. So for courts of general criminal jurisdiction, as I said, they are empowered to try and adjudicate on any criminal matter except limited by the laws that create them. So like for example, we have the Supreme Court, we have the Court of Appeal, then we have the State High Court, we have Magistrate Court, then to a certain extent, upper area court, area court, and customary court. Okay. Then we have courts of special criminal jurisdiction. This one's only try specific offenses or specific offenders. For example, we have the Federal High Court. Now, for the Federal High Court, we have 251. 251 basically describes the jurisdiction of the Federal High Court. So criminal matters in relation to 251 and then matters like treason, treasonable felony, and then federal offenses to the federal high court also tries federal offenses like um, matters under the ESP Act, money laundry act, drug offenses, then that's what the federal high court basically does. Then we have the National Industrial Court criminal matters in relation to employment and um, industrial matters. So they try child trafficking, child labor, matters like that go to the National Industrial Court. So next is the Juvenile Court. The Juvenile Court is basically governed by the Children and Young Persons Laws of State. It is uh, one of the courts that is um, specific to the offender. Like it's for children, young persons, minors, offenders. So generally, generally children, minors, young persons below the age of 18 are tried in juvenile courts, except in certain circumstances like uh, 
when the minor commits the offense with an adult, then they are both tried in a regular court. Mm. And when the minor commits a um, capital offense, then tried in a regular court. But um, aside this exception, minors and uh, people below the age of 18 don't go to regular court. They are tried in juvenile court. Then we have the court martial. Court martial deals with um, members of the armed forces, um, or civilians who work with the armed forces. So it's basically governed by the Armed Forces Act. So if you are a soldier, a member of the Navy, the Air Force, or that's that's where they try criminal matters relating to armed forces. Then we have um, tribunals like the Code of Conduct Tribunal, the Robbery and Firearms Tribunal. They are also courts of special criminal jurisdiction. So as we get settings of court, it's basically how the court is arranged. Like when you get to the criminal court, what does it look like? What do you find there? Like what are the general characteristics, things you find in a criminal court? So we have the bench. That's where your lordship is, the judge, the judges, or the magistrate. Directly in front of your lordship is the registrar's desk, where we have the registrar and the court clerk. Okay. Then the bar is where the lawyer sits. It is like opposite to the registrar's desk, what is where the lawyer sits. And the bar is made up of both the inner bar and the outer bar. Now, the inner bar is for people with rep and rank in the legal profession. So, like the senior advocates, the attorney general, life benchers, they get to sit in the inner bar because they are recognized and then the law actually permits them to sit there. The outer bar is for other lawyers. So, it's for other lawyers. But in, normal, in courts, in a lot of courts, the older courts, they don't have special provisions for inner bar. So, the first row, of the bar is reserved as the inner bar. For in some newer courts, they actually provide the inner bar for the special categories of lawyers to sit. Then we also have the dock. This is where the accused person sits or stands. Where the accused person sits or stands. It's usually to the left hand side of the judge. And an accused cannot give evidence from the dock. They have to move into the witness box. But the dock is basically where the accused person sits or stands okay. when he's arrived. Okay. Then we have the witness box. That is where witnesses sit or stand to give evidence after they are sworn or affirmed. It's usually on the right side of the judge. However, all these positions are not cast in stone. But it's just convention, conventional. There's no act anywhere that says the witness box cannot be on the left. And the dock cannot be on the right. But by convention, that is how criminal courts are arranged. Then we have the gallery where every other person sits. The audience, the complainant, the, that's where every other person sits, the gallery. Mm-hmm. That's where spectators, lawyers are not robed. That's where they sit. Okay. Can I go on? Yeah, go on, go on. Sittings of court. This basically means when the court sits, like, Days the court can sit. Court sits on juridical days. Juridical days are Monday to Friday. Depending on practice and procedure of the court, there are states where that day is 
stems to be a juridical date. Okay. Yes. So the court sits Mondays to Fridays and is certain places at days between the hours of nine and four. But the court can rise before that, and then the judge would also come in nine or so soon thereafter. But it's basically, it's basically between the hours of 9 and 4 or till the court rises. Then, courts don't sit on non-judicial days. That is Sundays and public holidays. Except if it's provided by the law or the parties agree. That is section 40 of the Magistrate Court Laws of Lagos. However, in that same section, it provides that there must be one court in the magisterial district sitting on Saturdays in respect of bail and custodial matters. So people just don't stay in prison okay. for this. It's just for it's just it's just to protect it's like protecting the rights of an accused. One court in my one magistrate court in the magisterial district has to sit on the Saturday in every magisterial district. Then again, a court may sit on a non-juridical day if the parties consent. I think also some is so TOP. If the parties consent, then the court can sit on a non-juridical day. But if the parties don't consent and the court goes ahead to sit, the proceeding for that day is invalid. Wow. Yes. So the court, the court, the judge cannot impose on the parties that want to sit on a non-juridical day. As long as they don't consent, the court, if the court sits, that proceeding is invalid. But if they consent, they cannot go ahead and raise it later, that um, later on appeal that because the court sat on a non-juridical day, even with their consent, then trial is invalid, and then there should be a trial. They can't raise it subsequently if they consent. But without their consent, any sitting is rendered invalid. Mm -hmm. So the two basic exceptions to sitting on judicial days are one, if there's a statutory provision, like the one in the Labor State Magistrate Court laws, or if the parties consent. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So can you like give us like a real life case or illustration of how this really works? Like just walk walk us through it. How does this really work? How criminal um, litigation works. So I have case study here. I'm going to read and explain. So, for example, Lady B went to a supermarket at, um, let's say, Ikeja. Then she picked some items and went to the cashier to pay. But she picked three. She picked like three packs of goldemon, four packs of cornflakes. And then in between somewhere she picked the thing of milk and put it in a handbag and she went to the cashier. While she was going, she didn't know that these items are attached and if they are not released at the cashier's point, it will trigger an alarm at the door. So it triggered an alarm at the door. She was checked by security men, a bag was searched, and the milk, the extra milk she took was recovered. So at that point in time, she was arrested by the security men, and then she was handed over to the police. Okay. Now, oh, arrest by security men. We get to treat that later. Can security men arrest anybody? 
who gets the street card subsequently. So she was handed over to the police. Then she was interrogated and investigated by the police. Police investigation who gets the street card again subsequently. So how does the police perform investigation before they even take you to court, before they arraign you, before they bring you before a judge? What does police investigation entail and what are the parts you play as a lawyer? Then she was charged with the magistrate court for stealing. So here she was charged, of course, we'll have to prepare a charge sheet. Subsequently, we'll also be discussing charge sheet. How do you prepare a charge sheet in a magistrate court? Is it any different from the state high court? Is it any different from the federal high court? In fact, magistrate court itself is the procedure of drafting a charge sheet in the south, different from the position in the north. So we'll be discussing how people are charged. Then she pleaded not guilty. This has to do with arraignment, which will also be joined subsequently, and then the various fees available to an accused person. Whether you plead guilty or you plead not guilty, you plead not guilty, this insanity, and the effects of all these fees. We also have she was admitted to bail. We look at bail subsequently. Um where we have police bill, we have um, court bill. bill. Under court bill, we have um, bill pending trial and bill pending appeal, which will also be discussed subsequently. The police called witnesses and closed their case. All these are involved in the trial process, calling mm -hmm. witnesses and basically trial. Okay. Then... So he be also called witnesses and close defense. So after the prosecution opens its case and calls its witnesses and closes its case, and the defense gets to open its case, call witnesses and also close the case. All these are involved in the trial procedure. Counsel addresses the court, which is the final address in criminal matters. Like what we have in like posting legal as it's so awesome, the final address that we're all like, ooh, oh, I like this, I want to be a lawyer. So we get to treat that too. Yeah, yeah. Then we have judgment. We also get to treat judgment, conviction, and sentencing. So Lady B was convicted and sentenced to three months imprisonment for a fine of 100 naira. So that is judgment, conviction, and sentencing. She was dissatisfied. If you are convicted, is that the end of the road? Are any other options open to you? Yeah. So, also, she was dissatisfied with the decision and she appealed. So, we will also be discussing appeal. Like, this is basically from the beginning to the end of criminal litigation, touching the various angles, which will be subsequently discussed. That that's that's a lot of discussion. But it's it's been really great talking to you, Victoria. Thank you for discussing with us today. And to our listeners, as you heard, there's a whole lot that we are still going to talk about subsequently. So we'd love for you to come back. I hope you've enjoyed today's topic and chat and I hope it has been very helpful to you. We'd love to hear from you, our audience. So if you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to reach out to us through our social media on Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn at DigiLove. Till we meet again, I remain your host, Kaitemi Ogo.
And that's all for today's episode of the Fit and Proper Podcast, a Digilaw production. For more about Digilaw, you can check out our website at www.digilaw.com.ng. Follow us on social media. On LinkedIn, we are at DGL Africa. On Twitter and Instagram, we are at DigilawNG. The Fit and Proper Podcast was hosted by Kiyukemi Ubi and Victoria Oloni. The scriptwriter is Kiyukemi Ubi. Production and editing by Akin Ifrain Agumbiade. While the voiceover is by Fashion Adibi. Until we meet again, stay fit and stay proper.